Okay, I'm feeling kind of honored today. <laughs> Praise God. I'd invite you to open your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, I do have peace in my heart, as I uh, kind of hinted on Facebook yesterday, uh, that we'll be launching out this morning into a new direction of ministry focus. I don't know how long we'll be on this subject. Uh, you know, I'm not the boss here. <laughs> the Lord is. And uh, praise God. And uh, he has uh, just strongly impressed on me. I was, you know, living life, trying to interact with the family. I have a good time last night, but I kept being drawn back to my Bible, back to my desk, back to my office all day yesterday. And the Lord would just quicken a statement to me here and impress something upon my heart here. And uh, praise God. So I think this is going to bless us all. Amen. And build us up and strengthen us and prepare us for the future. Uh, how many of you know it's important that we think right? Which is so important. And every day, in many areas of our life, we have a lot of opportunity to think wrong. Right? And all that. What, what's the definition of thinking right? Well, thinking in harmony with the Word. Thinking in the harmony with the written collection of God's thoughts uh, is, is thinking right. And uh, so I'm launching out into this series that, for now, until I come up with a more creative title, uh, I'm just going to call it The Local Church. Now, if you got my little tease on Facebook, that might disappoint you in the beginning. I hope it doesn't. Praise God. Uh, you know, uh, we're here in Matthew 16. Uh, the church has been under attack. Been under attack. You know, Satan's going to keep, keep constant attacks on the church. The church on earth is the biggest threat to the devil. The very entity that is holding back the Antichrist from stepping out on the scene is the church. We are the restrainer on the earth. The church is the most powerful, consequential, important entity on planet earth. You probably, maybe, especially if you're new, depending on your background, have not thought that way. But this is why the Lord, we have to think right about the church. Amen? And COVID-19, this pandemic, is many things. It's many things. It's part of a global shaking. It's a sign, uh, one of the end time signs Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, Luke 21. There will be earthquakes, there will be wars, rumors of wars, there will be pestilences, right? But one of the things that this pandemic has been and is today is an attack on the church, an attack on the local church. And sad to say, to a great degree, the church has been forced to the sidelines. The church has been forced into a digital format. Uh, the church has been uh, closed in many uh, areas. Amen? And uh, praise God. And we can get this mentality if we're not leveled. The enemy is so subtle. He is so crafty and so tricky that we could actually think by not coming and, and withdrawing and, and disconnecting from the local church that we're somehow doing ourselves and our families and our children a favor. Listen, be not deceived. Amen. Amen. Satan wants the church diminished. He wants the church minimized. You know all this... Uh, all the, you know, thank God for the live streams and, and the reach. God is using it. But you know, at the hand of many, like these Facebook platforms, you don't typically have godly people in there, you know, and they're in control of who gets to see that. Who gets to see that, the thing. And now, if people are going to look for it, they'll find it. But how much they let that out on their platform, they're in control of that. Amen. And so you need to know and know and know and understand that COVID-19 is an attack. It is an assault on the church, on the local church, and on your spiritual life. And what I want to say to you is, don't cooperate with the attack. Don't cooperate with the attack. Don't become a victim of the attack. Overcome it. And one of the ways we overcome it is by being refreshed, being taught, being reminded, what is the church? What is the church? The church is not the world. That's right. 
I've talked to pastor friends of mine uh, who have had congregants uh, leave their church because they decided to open. And, and their, their thought was, you don't care about my safety. No, you don't know what the church is, sweetie. You're, you're, you're relating the church with going to Lowe's or going to the movie theater or going somewhere else. Going to the church is not like going to the office. It's not like going to uh, a football game. You could never and should never put the church on a worldly plane. Put the church on a worldly level. We are not the world. We are living in this world. My feet walk on the dirt of this earth, but you and I, bless God, are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We belong to the kingdom of God. What they're having in the world, we are not supposed to be having in the church. And I understand, I'm not criticizing, I understand the catch-22 because I've had pastor friends not open their church and people leave because they didn't open. And so I just told my pastor friend, listen, you're just going to have to follow your own conviction. You're just going to have to follow your own conviction and let the chips fall where they may. Amen. Praise God in Matthew chapter 16. See, I'm all ready. Fired up. <laughs> Let's look at what uh, an interaction and something that the, the Master, the Lord, had to say. Uh, Matthew 16, 16. Actually, back up to 15. Jesus said unto them, to his disciples, But who, whom say you that I am? You know, your eternity swings on your answer to that question. Well, I believe he's a good teacher. That won't get you to heaven. I believe he's a great religious leader. That won't get you there. Whom do men... Some say, and you know, we'll read it. It says, and, G, and uh, Jesus, excuse me, and Simon Peter, verse 16, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Now before he had asked this question, I didn't go back far enough in my verses, and he'd ask, who do men say that I am? And they answered, you know, what they'd heard people say. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, come back in the flesh. And then he posed that question, who do you say that I am? Peter answered by the Spirit and said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You can't go to heaven if that's not your personal answer. If that's not your personal conviction and revelation. If He's not your Christ, you don't recognize Him as the Son of God, then you're not saved. Amen. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now what rock? Right. We know that Peter, the word Peter means a pebble or a stone. And in the Greek, the, the word uh, that is translated Cephas or Peter or a stone means pebble. It means little rock. The word upon this rock that Jesus said next is a different Greek word. And it's like a bedrock, like a foundation stone. Something huge like the rock of Gibraltar. Not the same Greek word. So God bless our Catholic friends. Peter's not the foundation of the church. He's a little stone. He's an important part of the body of Christ. But Jesus said upon this foundation stone. This what? This, what have they been talking about? The revelation of who I am. That I'm the Christ, I'm the anointed one. Upon that revelation, that revelation that I am the Son of God is the bedrock, the foundation stone of what Jesus said, I'm going to be about the work of building. He said, I will build my church. You want to know what Jesus is endeavoring to do today? What is, he, what is His focus? What's His aim? Yeah, He wants to evangelize and win souls, but He wants His church built. 
He wants the church built up. He wants the church expanded. He wants the church powerful. He wants the church blessed. He wants the church strong. Amen. Do you? Oh, you better answer honestly because we're going to get into that in just a second. Hallelujah. All right. So, air conditioner blew my pages. So it says... Upon this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Come on. I, this is why, because I've just been in this, the Lord has helped me. And it's not a bragger. It's not, a, it's not anything like that. But the reason I don't respond to this pandemic like a lot of other people have responded is because I know this and I can't act like I don't know what I know about Matthew 16. I am a member. I'm not I'm a living. I am if Peter is a pebble then I am a speck. In the body of Christ. Amen. But I am and you are a living vital member of the most powerful entity on the planet. And Jesus Himself said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. COVID-19 came right through the gate of hell to attack the church. But listen, friend, i got good news for you this morning. It won't prevail. It won't prevail. You're safe sitting in here this morning. Glory to God. Amen. If we're not safe here, we're not safe anywhere on planet earth, you might as well dig a hole and get in it. If we're not safe in this place, gathered together in the corporate assembly, praise God of saints, then Jesus lied. Or Jesus ran out of power. Or Jesus is not the same Jesus that He was when He said this. I'm telling you, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God forevermore. Amen. Go over to Hebrews chapter 10. I don't know how far we'll get this morning. We'll just get this introduced. Hebrews chapter 10. Glory to God. The title of my message for this first part, this first message in this series, is Passion for God's House. Passion for God's house. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The writer says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now what's the next two words? Not forsaking. Everyone say, not forsaking. Not forsaking. Not Not abandoning. Not walking away. Not staying away from. From what? The assembling of ourselves together. Listen, it's been said much. I've seen it. by me, And it's true. The church is not the building. That's true. You have to be careful though. The church is not you isolated by yourself. That's not the church. The church is not you viewing a little five inch screen... When there's a real church and a real pastor within walking, driving distance. Well, I, I, I don't want to get sick. We, you, fine, but you need to get a revelation of what the church is. You're thinking too small. You're not thinking scripturally enough. I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm trying to help everybody. I'm telling you, this attack on the church has scattered sheep all across the nation. Scattered sheep everywhere. Uh, some may never come back. Some may never come back. To their, to their destruction. To their destruction. It is a dangerous thing to let anything separate you from the assembly. And this will come primarily in the next lesson, but what is the church? The church isn't a building. It is a gathering of saints in one place for a specific purpose. And a building helps with that. 
We could be out in the wind. We could be out in the rain. We could be out in the weather and still have the church. The word church is the Greek word ecclesia. It's a compound word. The first word, ek, means called out. Ecclesia means uh, assembled together. So you put those two words together. What does the word church mean? The word church means a getting together, a gathering, an assembly of the called out ones. We are the called out ones. The ones Jesus has called out of the world unto himself. And the church is not the church until we gather. The church is not the church until we gather. So from this word ecclesia, most of us are common with the word church, but we've got all kinds of mentalities and thoughts about that word. A building, a location, a place, whatever. No, it is an assembly. It is a gathering. So this is where, from this Greek word, we get words like congregation. Or assembly. The assembly of God. That I'm, right? It's an assembly. It's a gathering. I've studied it. You go home and study it. You'll check me out. Nowhere. Nowhere where the church, the ecclesia, the assembly, the congregation, uh, the family of God is mentioned. Is there ever one person, by, one family by themselves, isolated from the assembly? That's not the church. I said, that's not the church. You're getting quieter. As I go along. (laughs) Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. If you forsake assembly, you have forsaken the church. You have forsaken what Jesus died to birth. What cost him his blood to author. What did you forsake it for? Fear of your own hurt. Yet there are believers, we should all be like this, ready and willing to die for the cause. They are willing to die in other countries just, they risk their life, their babies, their children, the husbands risk their wives. For what? For the getting together. For the getting together. At night, in the middle of the night, in a secret place, the underground church, the the persecuted church around the world is risking their lives to get together. Come on, America, you American Christian, you have got to buck up and rise to your stature and stop being American spoiled. And I know COVID-19 is not the only excuse people are using to forsake the assembly. People use their need for money to forsake the church. People forsake the church for their hobby. People forsake their church to pursue a wrong relationship. But I'm telling you, I've read this in your hearing. If you've been coming here, I don't know how many times you read it periodically as you just read your Bible. What are you going to do about this verse? To disobey this verse is to live in rebellion and disobedience to God. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner or the habit of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching... From one perspective, that day out there is going to get more deadly, more dangerous, more... Right? So this is why I'm trying to prepare you for the future. You have got right now, while it's still relatively easy, you must strengthen your connection to the church. You must increase your passion for the church. You must stir yourself and work on your mind and renew yourself because the pressures to disconnect and forsake the assembly will only get greater as the days go on. 
But the inspired scripture says on this other side, as we see this day coming, we are to gather more, 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 more. Go to Psalm 69. Lord, help me. That's my introduction. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Psalm 69. Let's look at something the psalmist said by the Spirit. Just the first phrase of Psalm 69, 9. Psalm 69, 9. Look at what the psalmist said. For the zeal of thine house hath came to my mind once this year. For the zeal of thine house, of God's house, don't you love these words? Hath eaten me up. Come on, with the time remaining, we're just going to camp out right here on this thought. Is that you? Come on, be honest with yourself. Don't say anything out loud. It's a rhetorical question. But on the inside, you better be honest with the Holy Ghost. Are you eaten up with zeal for the house? Or are you ho-hum? Are you oh well? It's just part of your routine like going to Walmart or going to Walgreens or picking up a prescription. If I have time, I'll wander in through the door of the church. If I have time. If it's convenient. No, the psalmist... The psalmist David said, zeal for God's house. He said, I meet up with it. I meet up with it. Come on. I meet up with it. Hallelujah. You're getting quieter. The God's Word translation of that phrase says, devotion for your house has consumed me. The New Living Translation says, Passion for your house has consumed me. The BBE says, I am on fire with passion for your house. Come on, it's okay. You're not fooling me anyway. I know you didn't come like that to church today. Right? And I know inside some of you thought you're going to give yourself a medal for showing up. You think you're worthy of a medal because you got yourself out of bed and looking halfway decent glory and got here. Maybe there's a few, maybe there's a small handful who came driving, eat up, can't wait. Sunday can't get here fast enough. Eat up with passion. God's house. You know someone eat up with passion for God's house won't let garden chores or grass or weeds or something keep them from the house of God. How is your passion for God's house? How is it? How is it? Go to John chapter 2. Oh glory. Listen, God's not mad at anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. Praise God. But if need be, let God stir within you. Come on, at least be open to allowing God this morning to ignite in you a fresh hunger and a passion for the house of God. Listen, in the end, this, what we do in the kingdom of God will be the only thing that survives the fire of God's judgment. It is the only thing that will sustain uh, itself through eternity. It's the church. It's the kingdom of God. It's the family of God. When you get to the end of this thing, it's not, you're not going to sit there and wish, I wish I would have pulled a few more weeds. I wish I would have made a little more money. You're going to say, I wish I would have done a little more for God, lived a, bit, a little bit more dedicated to God, accomplished a little bit more for God, won a few more souls for God. That's right in the end. It's, it's God and His plan and people. That's the only thing that's going to matter. Everything. I mean, from the moment we drove that BMW off the lot. You know, that thing doesn't mean anything to me. I appreciate it. I like it. But from the moment we drove it off the lot, it's begun to rot. 
It's begun to rot and begun to rust. I don't care what it is, if it's a Rolex watch, if it's the finest mansion, come on, in Paducah, it's decaying. And in the end, it's all going to be burned up. But the church and the plan of God and the people of God, that's what's worth giving your life for. So if you died with the coronavirus serving God, that would be a better testimony than staying at home and playing it safe, scared like a something, something. I don't know. John chapter 2. So it's Passover day. It's Passover day. And so Jesus travels to Jerusalem like a good Jewish boy would. Amen. And they're to partake. And so he comes to the temple. He comes to the place where God's presence is dwelling. And he comes up to the concourse and to the outer court. And uh, look at what it says in verse 14. How did Jesus, we know about how David felt about the church. How did Jesus feel about the church? Verse 14 says, well, verse 13, And the Jews, his Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple. I wrote church. He found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge, a whip of small cords, he drove them all out of the church. And the sheep and the oxen and poured out that he just overturned all their tables. He just wreaked havoc. He drove all that mess out. Why did he do it? Well, verse 16 says, And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, out of here. Make not my father's house. That's what the church is. The father's house on earth. And house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal... My house has eaten me up. Let me inform you of something you may not know. God has had His fill of corruption and compromise in the church. He's had His fill. And when He saw this, when He saw what men had done to the house of God, I understand for many Americans why leaving and forsaking church would be an attractive thing because of what men have made it. They have made it a place of entertainment. They have made it a place of of frivolity. They have made it a place of casualness. They have defiled God's holy temple. I'm telling you, I prayed to God earnestly more than once. God, help me deliver this right. I I don't want to come off angry. And when I said that to God, He said, I am angry. So forgive me, I'm working for Him. God is angry at what men have done to His church where there is nothing sacred. The pastor gets up, rolls out of bed, doesn't even put gel in his hair, gets behind the pulpit in the same clothes, he would go get a Slurpee at 7-Eleven and preaches to a blood-bought people, a compromised, watered-down, slick, Hollywood, market-produced message with no light, no power, no revelation, certainly no correction in it. And God has had His fill. And He's done it before. He made a whip. The head of the church formed. This was premeditated. He thought this through. He let Himself boil and simmer in disgust and anger at what men had done to the temple of God. And God is fit to be tied right now. I'm just telling you. Because, why? Because He loves His people. The church is not a Hollywood produced show, donkey and pony show. The church in America has been so lifeless and so cowardly and so powerless for so many years that that's what they did. They said, well, we'll have to get them with lights and fog machines and laser shows and concert-like performances. We'll have to get earrings and tattoos and black clothes. God's not in any of it. That's not a move of God. 
That's not the glory of God. That's not the cutting edge way of the future. And God's had His fill. And those pastors and leaders are dropping like flies today. People I love, people I care about, they're not on the planet or they have lost their ministry and they are good, sincere people, but they drank the Kool-Aid. And for 20 years, God has given them time to repent. But the whip is in the hand of the Lord. And He is going to drive out all this mess out of the church. Because the day is important and the time is short. And there is a work to do on the earth. And laser lights and donkey and pony shows and giving TVs away to get people in a sanctuary is not going to get her done. We're going to have to go back, Christian, to our foundation. You want to know what that is? Prayer. Getting on your face and seeking God. We're going to have to go back to our foundation. You You know what that is? Living right, yes, living clean, yes, living holy. Yes, sir. In this series, Lord willing, I'm going to teach you how to come to church. Paul told Timothy in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.15, that you tell them these things so that they'll know how to behave in the house of God. I'm tempted. The next fingernail, toenail clipping I find in this sanctuary to send it off for a DNA test. That's dishonorable. That's disrespectful. I got half a mind to have all the ushers take all your cell phones and all your doodads and all your devices while you're on Instacrap and all this different stuff while I'm trying to preach you the Word of God. We're going to have to go back to our foundation. You know what the foundation is? Honor. Respect. Recognizing that with God there are holy things. Sacred things. Precious things. One of those is the church. The church is a precious thing. And if you out there and you forsook the church because, you know, your pastor was fleshly and had a girl on the side and people robbed and manipulated and did all kinds of fleshly things and stole money, I'm sorry for that as a pastor. I'm sorry for that. But that's not happening around here. We are not perfect, but that's not happening around here. And you all know I love you, but I don't work for you. You, all, you know that I love you, but I'm, I'm, you don't employ me. You can't buy me. I didn't come here because of you. I came here because God said, come. You ought to want that. You ought to like that. You ought to go, yeah. Because God, that's the kind of guy that will tell me the truth. That's what these young people, that's what people are hungry for. What is the truth? Well, I'm, I'm not glad for anybody that's suffering at the hand of Jesus' whip. But just know, there's a shaking going on. And I just pray, I told my wife the other day, almost in tears, the last news I got about a friend of our, not a friend, a ministry acquaintance of many years ago, who isn't on the planet anymore. And I'm not happy about that at all, but my thought was in tears was funny, I hope I survive this shaking. Because God loves His people. Uh, You got a few more minutes? Well, we'll go there then. Let's go to Jeremiah 23 real quick. I have, I think, two pastors that look to me and call me dad and one evangelist. So I don't have, I'm not looking for a big minister following. But if the word were to somehow get out there to pastors, if you're not the real deal, you better, you better... Get out of that slot. Amen. Lest you die. And if you're abusing your office, if you're not a man of prayer, if you're not a man of, you know, nobody's perfect, I'm not perfect. You follow me around, you're going to see me, my imperfection. But my heart is to be more holy and to be more clean and to, and to grow every day. And to please God. And to be a good pastor. To be a good example. 
There's some pastors who don't care about that. If your only motivation is to get up, hoop it out, and hear everybody amen, wave their hanky at you, and stroke your ego, you're in trouble. You got a girl on the side, or a man on the side, you're in trouble. You're watching pornography, you better get help. You're stealing offerings. God sees the whip is in the hand of the Master. Why? Because Jesus has passion for the church. If Jesus has passion and David had passion, then bless God, I am going to be a man of passion for the house of God. If I have to sell my house and all my stuff, I won't have to, but if I had to, to get this building built, I will do it. Because God told us to do it. Jeremiah 23 verse 1, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep. You think I've been bold, I'm going to be bolder. Pastors that will not open their churches are scattering the sheep. And don't get mad at me, pastors, when they show up here and I keep them. Because what's what's that pastor going to do when real, real... Now, I'm not trying to diminish the danger of COVID-19, but it's got a 90-plus percent survival rate. What are are we going to do when... Careful. Yeah, when, when the stuff really does hit the fan. Right. The, the people are going to go the way of the pastor. The people are going to go the way of the pastor. Pastors, preach to your empty chairs if you have to. I mean, all of this compliance, you know what it is? It is Jesus being fired as the administrator and head of the church and a governor and a bureaucrat and a politician taking his place. That is what that is. That is what that is. I don't know what I have in my legal defense fund, but I may need some influx. I'm not closing this church again. I'm not. Woe to the pastors. What did they do? Destroyed. Scattered the sheep. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors... Will God turn against His own pastors? Yeah, He will if they do the wrong thing. You have scattered my flock. You have driven them away. You have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings. That's right there in the Bible. Then what does He say? And I will gather the remnant of my flock. See, He cares about the flock. Out of all the countries whither I have driven them, and I will bring them again to... There, everyone say there, There. folds. Meaning you have a specific one, not any church will do. God assigns our place in the church. You don't let your fingers do the walking through the pages of the yellow, you know, the yellow pages. That's a, you know, some young people don't even know what that is. You don't click on Google to find out the coolest, hippest, most casual, donut-eating, coffee-drinking-in-the-sanctuary, Hawaiian shirt, 30-minute service, church-going thing that appeals to your flesh. You want to go where God wants you to go. God said, I'm going to bring them to a church like that. And what's going to happen? They will be fruitful. They won't be sick. They'll be fruitful. And they will increase. And I will, God says, I will set up shepherds over them that will feed them and they will fear no more. Don't be alarmed or taken aback by the strength that's coming out of me right now. Just receive it. Just receive it. Chew on it. Digest it. Don't throw it away. Neither will they be dismayed. Neither shall be they lacking saith the Lord. Let's close back over in Psalm. Psalm 84. How's your passion? How's your devotion? 
to God, to His house. Let me tell you something. It is so dangerous. It is so dangerous to take a casual approach to church. If you've been trained that way, work on yourself. Work on yourself. Work on your mindset. Work on your mentality. You do yourself harm when you take a casual approach. Don't call me Chris. Because that doesn't mean anything to me. My mama named me that. I'm not ashamed of my name. But Jesus put a calling on me and an office on me and an anointing on me that you need. And when you say pastor, you're reminding yourself of the God-given place that you said in the new members class that I have in your life. It's not that I'm... It's not about ego. It's about honor for the gift. Honor for the office. Psalm 84, verse 10. For a day. What's it say? A day. A day where? In your courts. Whose courts? God's courts is better than a thousand. I'm going to be a good verse to meditate on this week. One day, one day in God's house can sustain you for a thousand days. Now, can I say the disclaimer? In a church that's doing it right. And in that statement, I am not giving myself an A plus grade. I want you to know that. I'm doing what I can. I'm doing what I know to do. But I I know I'm not all that. I know that the Lord wants me to come up higher for you. And I'm working on it. But I don't want you lest you think. that there. And don't you think that I I don't think that there's other genuine pastors doing godly work in this region. Because I do think that. I do think that. Just want to say that to you. Listen, why would anyone want to come here if I don't really think every Christian in the region ought to come right here? And that's the way I think. I don't know why anybody goes to any other church, but that's me. (laughs) Right? Dr. Dufresne taught me, he said, if you don't believe in what you're doing, why would anybody else? If you don't believe in your call, if you don't believe in your anointing, why would anybody else? Let me say something else while I'm getting myself in trouble and about. (laughs) Prophets should not be leading churches. This thing about prophets, you know, usurping the place of pastors, God's fed up with that too. Because prophets have a dynamic and important place in the body of Christ. But their place is not as a pastor. And I've had people leave me to go to churches led by so-called prophets because they want to be around a higher anointing. That's dumb. Prophets do walk in a stronger, higher anointing, but they don't have the pastor's anointing. They don't have the shepherd's office. They can't feed you ongoingly. Churches led by pastors will never grow. Prophets led by, thank you, prophets leading churches, they'll never grow. Because that's not their place. My spiritual father is a prophet. If he was sitting right here, I would tell him that. I would say it in his presence. He would agree with me. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, Chris, you're a good teacher, but I got to go over here where there's a prophet. Jesus wept looking at the multitudes, didn't he? And he wept over those multitudes. Why? Because they were sheep without a prophet. No, 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 no. They were sheep without a shepherd. And your life is out of divine order if you're not submitted to a pastor. And I mean, like, really. It doesn't have to be me, but it should be somebody. How would you know if you were really submitted to me? I could tell you something strong and you wouldn't talk back to me. You wouldn't buck up at me. 
you wouldn't try to defend yourself. Trying to close. Psalm 84. Psalm 84. A day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I told you I'd close in the scripture, but I'm going to have to go to one more. I'm going to have to. Doors are unlocked if you've got somewhere to be. I'm not, I, I just need one more scripture. Listen, listen to the psalm, listen to the message translation of this or paraphrase of this verse. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than to be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. How many church services would you be willing to miss if you were offered an all-expense, you know, three-month, six-month trip to a Greek island? Don't lie. Go to hell for lying. Hey, listen, vacation is fine. Having a job is honorable. Amen? But this... Is this heart, this passion, is it yours? Let's, I promise, Luke chapter 14 will be our last passage and we'll just stop. Hallelujah. You know, I love you guys. I love, I love us and we're going places. We are going places. And if you're new, hook on with us. Just, just act like you've been here all the time. You say, Pastor, I got issues and you can't sound like you're kind of strong. I got issues too. My wife even has one issue. <laughs> Ain't nobody perfect around here. And if it was perfect, you ruined it when you showed up. Right? Come on, it's about reality. It's about, it's about the Word. It's about people. It's about doing a work. And it's about being a part of the most powerful, glorious, defended, unconquerable group on planet Earth. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Thank you for hanging with me. I'm not trying to be long-winded. I'm trying to accomplish the plan for the service. Amen. So thank you. In uh, Luke 14, 15, it says, uh, no, 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 excuse me, verse 16. Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper or feast, and bade many. That word bade means he invited many. The Matthews version of this says it was a king who invited people to a royal banquet. And he sent his servant at supper time, feast time, to say to them that were invited, Come, 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 for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. My favorite of all, verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. (laughs) 
Don't you love our Lord? He's telling this story. All these people were invited to a royal assembly, to a royal banquet, to partake of the king's provision and table. And in the beginning, they all were glad to be invited. They all no doubt said, yes, we'll be there on the day appointed. Maybe even sincerely thinking they meant what they said. But when the day came, And the meal was ready to be served. The master started getting text messages and emails and phone calls. The first one said, I have bought a piece of land. I go to see it. Hold up. Didn't you look at the land before you bought it? What, what person buys a piece of property without looking at it? Are you telling me you can't schedule going to look at dirt at a different time slot? Oh, please have me excuse. I have a legit reason why I can't come to experience The royal banquet. The next guy, he's talking about his work. He's talking about his business. So he said, Oh, King, I have have acquired some new equipment, and I must go make sure it works. (laughs) Brother Jerry, you ever bought any equipment that you didn't Already make sure it worked before you bought it. Does this make sense to you? It's how my brain works. I have business. I have money to make. I have a business. I have money to make. Please have me excused. See why I needed to go to one more verse? And then this last guy. That's sad. He just said like he knew the king would understand. I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Well, what do we know? If you can't bring your wife to the king's banquet, we know you married wrong. That's what we know. That's what we know. But you know, I, I've, I've gotten that excuse many times from people. Where you been? Well, you know, I married so-and-so, and they're not really into your kind of church, and we're just thinking about, you know, trying to find a place we both like. And Yeah, well, you, we know you married wrong. The best place to find your wife is in God. Right? You want to find someone who is passionate about scrubbing floors in the house of God rather than being honored as a guest in the palace of sin. What did the parable say? Jesus telling this story, He said, all of these things were excuses. Now, I'm sure this, you know, it was this, this, uh, these excuses were relayed to the master through the servant. They, he didn't get this firsthand. And I'm sure people went on about, you know, thinking, he, he understands. Pastor understands. I got dirt I got to look at. I, I, got, I got machinery I got to oil. He, he understands why I can't come. But the master's over there really thinking, I don't understand. Look at Jesus' reaction. So in verse 21 says, So the servant came and showed the Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, Go out quickly, and I'll summarize, Go out and find 
uninvited people and you make sure that they come and get their portion. You make sure that there are people in my house who get what I ordained my invited guests to get. Someone else is getting. See, here's the way I think. Like, I'm going to go make a hay run, Lord willing. I have to do an annual hay run. I'm going to go make my, I like doing it. I'm going to go make a hay run. It takes me all day. And, you know, and there's work involved. And so I'm going to go do that. Well, you know, I'm not going to do that on Wednesday. I'm going to actually think a little bit. I'm not going to do it on Wednesday. Why would I not do it on Wednesday? Because, well, you know, you'll get back by 5 o'clock. What if something goes wrong? What if I have a flat tire? What if I'm delayed? What if I'm slowed down? Aren't you glad pastor thinks about these things? How come you don't? Maybe you do. Many of you probably do. But if you're freed up and you have options and you, you're liberty and yet you schedule a heavy day on Wednesday, you're dis- that's not an excuse. Then you're wore out by the end of the day. You could have done it on Tuesday. You could have done it on Thursday. But you didn't have enough regard or forethought or passion for the house of God to factor that in. How is your passion? You are always where you want to be. Always where you want to be. Now, are there legitimate things? Yeah, Brother Ken's dealt with some legitimate things. His age dad. And he has no one else to help him. Right? So he has to be there. I get that. I get that. I'm not, Jesus is not hard. But that's not an excuse. That's a reason. You know, I, I, did the multi, I did the math. There are 168 hours in a week. If you did everything the church has on its weekly ministry schedule, Sunday school, corporate prayer, Sunday morning service, Wednesday night, mentoring, Thursday morning prayer, that is eight hours. If you did everything we offer on a consistent basis, that is eight hours of a 168-hour week. It's not a matter of can. It is a matter of a lack of interest, a low value, and a misunderstanding of the power. There, it, it, when, if I've prayed and we've done things right and I try to, Every time we get together, there's a feast to be had. There are answers to be gained. There is healing in the house. There is revelation. There is anointing. There is marriage putting back together power. Can you give God? I mean, the highest and the best would be, and we're not even, we're not expecting near that, but even if you were A plus the best member we ever had, you showed up at everything we have the whole week, you've given God eight hours. What is that in terms of percentage? Not even 10% of your week. The house is worth more. I'm going to give it more. And I just challenge you as we close. How's your passion? Come on, how's your passion? Someone said 5%. 5%. If you did everything. And we're not, listen, I'm not expecting people to do everything. Jerry and Kathy, they have a harvest season. I, I, I get that. God gets that. That's not an excuse. That's a reason. But you bought some ground. The ground would be there three hours from now. You could go to the banquet. The, real, the reality is you don't want to. You don't want to. Your flesh don't want to. You've lost honor and regard and expectation for what can happen there. So you created a reason or excuse why you can't be there. Hallelujah. So honey, come up here and get me out of this mess.
Let's all stand up. I don't know what else to do, but uh, let you go. <laughs> Are we praying this afternoon? Yes, sir. Hey, glory. We're going to have prayer time for the nation. Three o'clock to four o'clock. Hallelujah. No condemnation, but... Hallelujah. Praise God. Father, you know my heart.